Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. And again, Peter is, he's trying to instill confidence into these people who are just going through suffering. You want to know how to make it through difficult times in your life. You got to look to Jesus. You need to turn to him. Go back to the cross. Remember what he did for you on the cross. Visit the empty tomb, but don't hang out there too long because it's empty. Realizing he conquered sin and death. And he's, he's ascended to heaven. He's at, he's at the right hand of the Father. And he makes intercession for you and I daily. Life can be tough at times. And it's easy to get caught up in our present struggles. You can feel lost and overwhelmed, alone. But as Pastor James talks about in today's message, we can find hope at the cross. At the cross, we see the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate act of love. We see the Son of God giving His life for ours, taking on Himself our sins, our pain, and our burdens. At that moment, He showed us that we're not alone and that there's always hope. In tough times, reflect on the cross. Now here's Pastor James in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Turn your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 3. We got a, a fun little portion of scripture to go through. As you're turning there, I'm just, let, me, um, let me illustrate this kind of in, in one sense with this historical story. Back in the summer of 1815, there was a, a battle that was won, okay? You had two individuals, Duke, Duke Wellington and then Napoleon, posing armies. Napoleon was a, just unbeatable just absolutely unbeatable, conquering anything, anywhere, and all, all types, just going around decimating any army, to, any army that dared to oppose him until he met up with Wellington. And Wellington overcame a formidable foe in Napoleon. Now, that's a great story in and of itself, but what makes the story very fascinating and very apropos to where we're going to be in the text today is that how the message was relayed back to the people in London Okay, because it's 1815, you know, obviously, you know, I don't have to tell you this, no phones, no, nothing like that. So they had to communicate by way of like almost a relay system. Ships would sell back and then they would, dis- dis- they would display the message to a man who was positioned on a mountain and he would look for the ships. He'd be watching the sea at all times. And then the ship was coming and it had a message, a proclamation, and it said, Wellington defeated And because it's London, it's it's England, it's foggy. The fog had covered up the rest of the message. And so what was true was Wellington defeated the enemy. But what they saw was Wellington defeated. And that message saw the land. Until a few hours later when the fog dissipated. And the truth behind the message shone brightly and clearly. But all of London was downcast. Because as far as they knew, their, the, you know, their chief warrior, so to speak, had just lost the battle. But then the truth came hours later. No, Wellington defeated the enemy and celebration erupted everywhere. 
in Christianity and with the specific passage we're going through today, there was a day where it seemed like the message that was communicated to all was Jesus defeated when he died on that cross and when he was buried in the tomb. What the disciples at that time and most of the world at that time didn't realize, well, the, minute, the, the message was never finished. It's just, you know, hours later, so to speak, it cleared and it says, no, Jesus defeated the enemy. Jesus defeated the enemy. That is the whole point to this portion of scripture that we're about to go through, verses 18 through 22. So look at it. I'm going to throw you a curveball this morning. I'm, I'm going to teach from, normally I'm teaching from New Living Translation. I love that translation. I think it's a great one. Today on the screens, it's going to be the uh, New King James, but I'm teaching out of the Tree of Life version, which is a tremendous version of the Bible, but it uses different terms within there that I appreciate. So you'll see it in a second. If it doesn't line up with your translation, your Bible in your hands, it's okay. Let me tell you this. They're essentially saying the same thing, Okay. No need to go running out of the room screaming and yelling or like, or throwing things at me. Um, you're fine. These translations are good translations, okay? They're going to point you to Jesus. That's a Bible you want to read. Any Bible that points you to Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection and all that good stuff, that's, that's where we want to stay at. But verse 18, it says, for, for Messiah once suffered for sins also. All right, so we'll pause right there because just to to understand the tremendous magnitude of that statement, you need to go back into verse 17. It says, for it's better to suffer for doing good if it is God's will than for doing evil. And so Peter is throwing this out there to a church, to a group of people who are experiencing suffering. And that suffering is going to be elevated to degrees that mankind hadn't quite known at this point in time in history. So Peter is communicating to people who were going through suffering. And he says, for doing what is right, then for, what is, then for doing what is wrong. And then he goes right into this, look at our model, look at our example. His name is Jesus. That's where verse 18 says, for Messiah, for the Christ, for Jesus, Yeshua, whatever you, you know, that's who we're talking about. Once suffered for sin also, the righteous for the unrighteous. He suffered for doing good. He never did anything wrong. Jesus never, ever did anything wrong. Never sinned. Yet he was willing to go to the cross, the righteous, to die in the place of James Grizzle, the unrighteous. Okay? Sinless, perfect sacrifice for me. Full of sin. Full of sin. Born a sinner. He's our model. So if you're going through suffering, look to Jesus. Look to Christ. It says he, he did this, sins, you know, he suffered for sins also, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. So he, he came, he died on the cross. I mean, this is the gospel in the nutshell right here. Like, this is the gospel. He came, he lived, he died, was buried, rose again, Now he's ascended, seated at the right hand of the Father, just so that you could have access to the Father. So that that bridge that was destroyed by sin back in the garden would be rebuilt forever, never to be destroyed again. 
the bridge that Jesus himself constructed through his perfect, you know, sacrifice on the cross for us, there's nothing that can destroy that bridge. There's nothing that can get in the way of that thing. And he did that for you. So you'd have access to the Father. So you'd have access to the Father. Tell me what other religion on this planet is doing these types of things. There's not one. There's not one. You better be good. That's kind of the breakdown for most other religions. You better be good, and you might, just maybe, make it. To what? To where? To, to, to stand in the presence of God Almighty? Well, no, no, no. We're not, we're not going to say that. Well, that's what Christianity claims. Jesus died so that we could forever be with him forever. It's amazing. The righteous for the unrighteous. And again, Peter, is, he's trying to instill confidence into these people who are just going through suffering. You want to know how to make it through difficult times in your life. You got to look to Jesus. You need to turn to him. Go back to the cross. Remember what he did for you on the cross. Visit the empty tomb, but don't hang out there too long because it's empty. Realizing he conquered sin and death. And he's, he's ascended to heaven. He's at, he's at the right hand of the Father. And he makes intercession for you and I daily. Daily he's praying for you. Daily. And then the whole time he's also preparing a place for you which means he's going to come back one day to get you, to bring you to that place he is making for you. You're going through suffering. You're going through difficult times. Look to Jesus. Be reminded of how much he actually thinks of you and cares about you. It says he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Ruach, by the Spirit. And that's why I like this translation, right? Because this, this really clarifies who we're talking about. So you have Jesus, part of the triune God. You have God the Father, who is mentioned within this passage as well. Jesus is going to bring you to God, and through his death and burial and resurrection, through the Holy Spirit, the whole triune God is on display here, all members actively working together beautifully. He was made alive by the Spirit, by the Ruach. Verse 19, through the Ruach, through the Spirit. Keeping in mind, this is who we're talking about. He also, Jesus, went and preached to the spirits in prison. Now, here's where it gets interesting, okay? Too many people get caught up in this, right? And they miss the big picture. The big picture of this passage is Jesus died for you. Jesus was buried for you. Jesus rose again from the grave. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the point of the passage. Who are these spirits? Well, we'll talk about that. I'm going to do my best to answer that question, if that's one that is on your mind. But it's not the most important part of this passage, okay? Let's not make the minor things the major things, okay? The point of this passage is we have a victorious leader who won the biggest battle for us. So he goes down, he, it says, through the spirit, he also went and preached to the, uh, to the spirits in the prison, or spirit, yeah, spirits in prison. So what in the world are we talking, to, talking about here? It's talking about the fact that he did not go to, let me clarify this, he did not go to hell, okay? 
Because we need a, you know, eschatological kind of clarification going on here, right? Um, at this point in time, when Peter's writing this, hell as in the lake of fire, is, that's not a thing right now, okay? These guys aren't in there. And you, if you want to know when all that happens, read the Revelation. Satan, angels, anybody who wants to reject Jesus, and by rejecting him is choosing not to take this free gift of salvation, tossed into there, Okay? That's, that's hell. That's what we know. But we're talking about Hades. This is a different place, okay? In your brain, you can think back into the Gospels, and there was a story of a, a man who had died, and, uh, and there was, he went down to, into Hades, and there, there's a, a separation between two spots, okay? There's these guys hanging out with Abraham, and then there's these other guys where it's like, it's hot, and I need some water, and there's, you can't quench my thirst, and all this good stuff. This is, I, more than likely, this is what, we're, what Peter is talking about here. This is what he's referencing, okay? More than likely. There's a lot of different ideas on this, but I'm just going to give you basically the, the middle of the road kind of thought concerning this, this passage. But Jesus went there, and so well, what, what are the spirits that he preached to? Because that's what it says. It says he went down there through the spirit. He preached to the spirits in prison. So who are these spirits? There's um, three different ideas on this, okay? One of them's a, a kind of a super minor kind of thought process. Two of them are, are really maybe the ones you've heard about the most, right? One is held, held on to by Reformed theology people, okay? Reformers, right? These guys interpret this as it's Jesus, this, this spirit of Christ was preaching through Noah to all the people back then when he was constructing the ark. And we'll see that even further, okay? That's the stance that these guys choose to take on that. I don't really agree with that at all. I don't, and I'm surprised that that's the stance that they would take. But anyways, so that's one thought. The other is, well, then who is he, who is he preaching to? Who are these spirits? Who I believe and most if not all Calvary chapels believe, is these demonic angels. It's demonic angels that are locked away in this prison. Like, just to, just to show you this, like, there's this spiritual world that is happening around us, okay? I don't say this to, like, terrify you at all, because if you're in Christ, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You have nothing to worry about in that sense, but there's some really bad dudes out there. And I say bad dudes, I'm talking about fallen angels. So bad that they're locked away. So bad that at the end of it all, tribulation time, they get set free. And they cause havoc on this planet. But so bad for right now, God's like, you're locked away. They had one time, as far as we know, and the oldest interpretation of this passage agrees with this. Like, People in Peter's day when he was writing this letter all held fast to this, this viewpoint, that these were the angels from Genesis chapter 6, the sons of God, okay? And there's different viewpoints on that. We could spend all day talking about this fun stuff, but we're not going to, because the point is, I, don't, I believe it's these fallen angels, these demons, and they're locked away, but ultimately, I don't really care because they're defeated, okay? Minor issue so to speak. Fun to read about and study, and you can go down all sorts of rabbit holes, you know, researching this. I don't really recommend doing like a YouTube search on this thing, because you're going to end up with wild stuff, okay? Don't waste your time. If you want a solid 
adventure digging into this, we'll just stay within the pages of the Bible. It's safer that way. So he goes down to the spirit or goes down to this prison to preach to these spirits. And let me, I just, I had to put down some notes here just to help keep me focused in one sense. But the spirits in prison, more than likely demonic spirits, okay? And so why? Why would he go down in there and to preach to them? Now, I, I do want you to understand that term preach does not mean evangelize, okay? It's not, he doesn't share the gospel with angels in trapped up in prison, okay? Because that's the other thought is, well, they're not they're not spirits, isn't angels, it's souls, and he goes down and preaches the gospel to these people who are down there to give them a second chance at salvation. You don't find that anywhere in the scriptures. Nowhere. So, but there are people who will fast to that, that, that viewpoint, that these spirits are, there are people, he's given them the gospel and all that good stuff. No, that's not true. That's, not, that's nowhere to be found in the scriptures at all. So the spirits, probably demonic angels that are locked away. But why? Why would he need to go down there and preach to them or proclaim, technically, proclaim a message to those guys? Number one, angels are not omnipresent. And they're not omniscient. They don't know everything, nor can they be anywhere and everywhere at the same time. They are not on the same level as God. Okay, so when you think about God versus Satan, I hope you understand that they are not on the same level. Not, okay? Satan's a bad guy. Yeah, he's a bad guy, but he was created by God, okay? They're not like, oh, who's going to win this fight? There's no, it's not even a contest. With the snap of his fingers, God could totally take out Satan. He doesn't stand a chance. He's just a fallen angel, Okay, all of the fallen angels, the host of them that fell away, they are not on the same level as God. They don't share in the power and all that good stuff. Now that they are a different level than us, but Jesus goes down there and I believe the message that he shares with these fallen angels is game over. Game over. You lose. You lost. You lost. It's over. And he's like, I'll see you guys later. Because I'm not hanging out down here for a while, for long. I just showed up down here. In, in some other verses, talks about taking captivity captive with him, right? That, like, that's when that, maybe that whole region or that area, like, that's no more. And Jesus took those from Abraham's bosom with him, okay? That's, and that's fine, we can talk about that some other time, but primarily concerning this text, Jesus shows, down, shows up down there and proclaims to these spirits, I won, you lost. Whatever you thought you may have had over my people, it's been broken. It's been broken. You're down here imprisoned. They have no access, these demons at this point in time and all that good stuff. Maybe if, if you go back into Genesis chapter 6 and you see that, and if, if that is who it's talking about, I believe it is, they, had, they intermixed with the daughters you know, of man, right? And how did that even work out? Like, and then they produce offspring. How can angels hook up with women and produce offspring? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. When you're like, well, I know the Bible says in heaven, <clears throat> there, you know, none will be married or nor given to marriage. True. True. 
That doesn't say anything about the physical bodies of these angels. You know, that's just speaking about marriage and all that fun stuff. What, what do these angels look like? I don't know. We have descriptions of other angels in the Bible, and it's kind of creepy, actually. Like covered with eyeballs and wings. I don't know. That, but those guys like, you know, cherubim and seraphim and different things like that. But do they all look? They don't all look like that. Sometimes the book of Hebrews tells us you, you could be entertaining angels and not even know it. Like heavenly hosts could be in your presence and be an angel and you not even know it. We've seen that. That's happened all throughout the Old Testament. That's happened in the New Testament. The Christmas story is about an angel showing up to Joseph and Mary. He's like, hey, what's up? Name's Gabriel. Got some news for you, right? Like, and they would have seen him as just a man. But he had those big wings, right? And had this, no wings. The glowing halo? No, I don't think he had that either. I think he just looked like a dude, as far as I know. But when did that, feature-wise, when did that stop? I don't know. I have no idea. All I know is somehow the sons of God, and I don't believe that that's the, you know, reference to like the superior race of humans and all that stuff. I don't believe that. I think it is these angels somehow figured out a way to hook up with some of the daughters and produce these offspring that are real. How did that happen? I don't know. Watch a YouTube video, I guess. I don't know. Don't do that. Who knows what you'll come up with then? All I know is that what Genesis 6 represents is depravity and wickedness. Okay? And whatever happened and all that good stuff, it was bad and it was so bad that God was going to send a flood to wash the whole thing clean. So whatever it was, it was sinful. It was wicked. It was anti-God. The reason why I think it would be these demonic spirits, these angels trying to hook up with daughters from man is because the promise from Genesis chapter 3, when God had confronted Adam and Eve, and, but had also in that confrontation with them had let them know like a salvation would come from you, like the rescue plan would come from your lineage. So if I was the enemy, what would I try to attack? I would try to attack humanity to disrupt that or keep the Messiah from ever being able to be born. All right? So that's why I think in Genesis 6, you got this demonic thing going on there between these fallen angels and these women, because I think they're trying to mess up the genealogical thing. Didn't work. Flood happens somehow or another. Those dudes get locked up as far as we understand. They're, they're put away. They're not able to be set free. But if they're put away and locked up in some sort of prison, they have no awareness, as far as we would know, that Jesus has just died on the cross as a perfect sacrifice until Jesus shows up. And they would know who he is because demons know who Jesus is. And they know who he is. Like, not just like, oh, you're Jesus of Nazareth. No, you're Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. They know that. They know that. Sometimes demons' theology is better than our theology. They know a lot about the Bible. They know a lot about Jesus. Hope to the hopeless, hopeless, red for 
You've been listening to Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James is going through the New Testament letter written by the Apostle Peter. 1 Peter is a book full of empowering statements made from someone who knew firsthand what it was like to believe in Jesus and to face enemies of all kinds. Much of Peter's message is reminding us that although we might face fiery trials, in the end, God will lift us up for being faithful to him. Once again, Peter knew what it was like to suffer. He himself had once denied that he even knew Jesus. Surely there was a turmoil within him during those hours of denial. But he went on to be a spiritual pillar as the Christian church was birthed. We trust that as you're listening to these messages from 1 Peter, that you're being strengthened in your own walk and faith with the Lord. Bread for the Broken is a ministry out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We're a group of people of all ages, coming together to magnify Jesus and find hope and new life in Him. We'd love to have you come join us for a Sunday morning service, or we have a Thursday evening service too. You can find out more on our website, breadforthebroken.com. While you're there, if the Spirit leads you, there's a link to where you can support this ministry in a financial way. We're grateful for any support as we strive to spread the light of the gospel in a dark world. Well, that's all the time that we have for today, but we'll be back again next time in the book of 1 Peter. Pastor James is looking forward to sharing more with you here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.